0: Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network In Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton and today I'm in conversation with Jordan Chong, News Editor at Australian Aviation. This episode we're talking, perhaps unsurprisingly, about Australia, a unique market that often drives much innovation in the passenger experience sphere. But first, thanks to our sponsor, In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. Next time you settle into your seat on an airplane and pull the window shade closed, consider the colour, thinness and opacity of that material, designed precisely to keep the sunlight out so you can rest. That's Bolteron. Learn more at b-o-l-t-a-r-o-n dot com. Now, Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, John. Lovely to be here. So... Australia is this this really unusual market. Um, you've got sort of Qantas as the as the I, I guess the the pioneer of a lot of aviation, um, and you've got Virgin Australia as the challenger airline. Um, I guess what we what we've seen a lot of recently is Qantas stretching the boundaries of both the uh, aircraft they're serving super long routes, so you know, ultra long haul of Perth London. Um, they're looking at Project Sunrise, which they they want Sydney New York, Sydney London. Um, You've flown this Perth-London flight, in economy no less, down the back of a Nine o Breast 787. What was that like? Well, I would have to first say that
1: I was lucky enough to have a seat empty next to me. Um, so first, that's to just let me disclose that first. But I think um, Qantas has done some interesting things to try to sort of shorten how the flight feels. I, I, I remember getting on board and... Um, wondering, gee, the meal service is taking a long time. You know, they come around for one round of drinks and then they came around for a second round of drinks and then finally served you your meal. And then after your meal, the light stayed on for what I would have thought would have been quite a long time considering the flight left at about 7 Mm p.m. in the evening. But talking to Qantas, what they're trying to do is lengthen that first stage and then having a... because the flight's in complete darkness, having that second stage where you actually sleep. So the first third, you're awake the next bit you're asleep and then they wake you up at the end. And ideally you wake up in London at 5pm, 5am, sorry, feeling like you've just stepped off a
0: bus from the city to your house. Yeah. yeah. Um, That feels like something they should explain better to people though, right? Like is, is there a sort of pre takeoff video that they show explaining their, their concept or?
1: No, I think, I think they're just hoping that by just doing it uh, as a matter of course, people just accept it and, um, you know, they benefit from it not by knowing about it, it just happens through uh, the fact that it occurs. In terms of the, the, the passenger experience, I think the you're right, the seats are narrow. There's no getting around that. 17.2 inches, I mm-hmm. think, is the measurement. Yeah. Um, but the aircraft is built for, you know, these modern, the, with these modern technologies, the lower cabin altitude, the humidity, the quietness. Um, and I'm sure that, that all helps, absolutely. But um, it's hard to get around the fact that it's 17 inches across um, seat width in, in economy nine abreast, narrow aisles, etc. cetera. So um, would I do it again? I think I would um, if the schedules fit and all that sort of thing. Um, and I also took the flight back uf 10 which is a I think a much better sort of from a body point of view because you leave around lunchtime. So you have a little bit of daylight to feel like it's daytime, one night to sleep and then you wake up and you arrive in Perth around about lunchtime, about 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I think the the flight schedule coming back to Australia is is better from a body point of view because the flight leaving Perth is com- in complete darkness. And in winter, you arrive in darkness. Yeah. In summertime, it might be different. In the northern hemisphere, you arrive at 5 a.m. and it's usually light by then. Mm-hmm. So it helps you wake up. But um, the meal service, Qantas has had this interesting meal service where they, they eschew the... Um, appetizers and, and desserts in favor of a big um, main meal, mm-hmm. non tray if you like, if you have a northern yeah. hemisphere, and um, a little bread roll. And then they give you like a packet dessert later on. Um, some people like it, some people don't. I, I think, you know, if the portion is substantial enough that you don't need the appetizer, then that's fine. But I guess you get if you're traveling in a economy, you kind of like these little pockets of food that you can play with to sort of pass yeah. the time. It's,
0: it's the meal as
1: in flat entertainment thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I think what Qantas does well also is that they've introduced these salads as an option for your main meal. Mm-hmm. And some people don't want to eat a hot meal. Some people want a lighter meal. And the salads, are they look really good. And I had one. And, you know, it, it definitely is um, an option that's growing in popularity. So yeah. the little things like that and the standard things that all airlines do for long haul flying they've there's food and drink at the back you just go and help yourself healthy choices hummus and carrot sticks who knew
0: right and, and is it the long life pyramid of hummus or is it or is it like little little dip bowls uh it it is it is unfortunately a a long life hummus <laughs> pre-packaged carrot sticks in a little pack yeah but you know but you know that's better than the sort of indistinguishable shortbread that that is is the option on a lot of airlines? Yeah, yeah. Refined
1: um, carbohydrates plus sugar.
0: Right, plus yeah. fat. Um, it was interesting. I was on I was on Cathay Pacific in business, um, and I was surprised at the lack of of sort of healthy snack option. Um, you know, whether like sort of fruit and cheese plate, or you know, just a, a, a something other than you know crisps or or, or bickies. Yeah, you know? yeah. Whole fruit is a godsend on a yeah, plane. Totally, totally. Um, you know, I'll, I'll often, um, despite the fact that loungers say this food only to be consumed in lounge, um, I'll often stick an apple or a banana or something in my in in my pocket and um, hope that I remember not to try and take it through um, someone's biosecurity border <laughs> control. At <laughs> the other end, um, so uh, obviously Qantas made a lot of its in-flight entertainment on this route. You know, big screens down back, um, and and they hope that people just sort of lose themselves in the um, in sort of bread and circuses of the passenger experience. Did you find that that happened? Did you, or did you just sort of hit the sack and sleep through it? Or
1: oh, I definitely used the entertainment because 17 hours, you can't sleep for that whole time. Some people can mm-hmm. through medicinal aids. But yeah. um, I, I definitely used the, the entertainment. I think it's very responsive, the touchscreen. Um, and as you say, they put the latest technology. Yeah. Um, it's that system. Panasonic
0: EX3 on there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: and so uh, it, it had all the things that you needed. Um, I'm not so picky. So, you know, I guess if you are a person who travels every week or every couple of weeks, inevitably you'll find stuff that you don't want to watch. Yeah. Um, but but I, it suited me. Um. And I think I slept for maybe six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, plus it's an inaugural, so there was a lot of activity happening. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, the the um both the chief executive and the chairman of the airline were on the flight, so they did walkthroughs and mm-hmm. um, lots of media with lots of cameras, so you know, I guess you, you don't expect it to be a normal flight, but the return was a completely normal flight. And like I said, I, I again, slept for five or six hours. So mm-hmm. I think that in-flight entertainment, you know, they've really tried their best to boost um, what's available. But as you would know, the 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 one thing that they don't have on the wide bodies are in-flight internet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. you're disconnected if you if you're a worker or a person who wants to be connected to the outside world for 17 hours. And yeah. some people would find that um, disappointing for a modern aircraft not to have it. But, you know, Qantas has explained that they're still trying to work out how to get the same level of um, connectivity on their domestic flights as they are on the mm-hmm. international flights. Yeah. So they'd it's rather in- have a good product, a, com- a comparable product, rather than just to put something on and then retrofit later right, on. Right,
0: exactly. And, that, and that's something that, that a number of airlines are trying to figure out. So they've got the uh, your Viasat solution um, using Ka band on a regional basis, but the long haul options right now are, are are tricky to figure out. Um. So and it's interesting to see the the that all three of the big Australasian airlines, so Qantas, Virgin Australia, and New Zealand, have chosen different solutions. Um. For for their fleets. Um. It'll be it'll be interesting to see, down there in particular, who who outperforms whom. Um, yeah. Well, I think Virgin Australia has now rolled out its, um, Wi-Fi.
1: On international services to New Zealand, mm-hmm. and also on the Triple Seven Three Hundred ER services to Los Angeles. Yeah, um, they've got different pricing models for domestic, international. Um, you know, domestic you get a basic free service, and then you can buy a premium. Mm-hmm. And then on the international services, you get um, uh, a uh, there, there's no free option. It's mm-hmm. a paid option yeah. all the way. Um and um, you know, having seen the. Installation of the product on the 777-300ER, uh, th- these are not small um, investments, so you'd want to get the model right. And yeah. I don't know how airlines would measure the payback, whether it's just through additional bookings or whether it's through, you know, getting a better appreciation from the passengers when they're choosing where what, what they to fly. Mm-hmm. But like you say, all three different models and eventually, you know, as you would know, the... The bandwidth is increasing all the time. The mm. coverage is increasing all the time. So one would think that at some point that they'd all be comparable in terms of the the offering.
0: Yeah, don't you think? I mean, you'd you'd hope so. Um, it's not just the the, the, the bandwidth and the capacity that's increasing; it's also a lot of the technology. So, um, one of the things that I have you know, so I I just recently did a, a five week trip from uh Europe through uh Finland, Japan, Korea, Australia, Hong Kong, and back. Um, and a lot of that was, um, you know, Panasonic KU band. And it was really noticeable when aircraft had the new Panasonic antenna and modem kit installed. Which is, you know, so in the weeds in terms of passenger experience, uh, nerdery. But that's the kind of thing that we, that we love at RGN, obviously. Um, and it was so noticeable when that was on board. Um, because people want it. I mean, I was flying on a, on a red-eye from, from Finland to Japan, right, where you would expect everyone to be asleep. Two-thirds... Of an a350 was online and and finnair doesn't offer a um a free uh a free service down the back I mean, business class gets a free half hour on the long haul um uh but yeah it was it i was astounded by that um and you know it was an early uh, early panasonic system it was creaking under the pressure um so you know i can understand how Qantas would be like look the 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 options are not yet in a place where we want to um certainly take the drag and weight penalty um on seven eight seven, um, you know, they, they they're very clear about the fact that they had to make a lot of compromises in the actual outfitting of the aircraft to get the performance they wanted for uh Perth London. Mm. Things like lighter ga- lighter galley carts and yep. lighter
1: flatware and lighter yep. cups and plates and bowls. Every gram, every kilogram makes a difference. Yep. So
0: Yeah, I mean down to down to stuff that seems crazy to us, like installing zero point five amp chargers in premium economy um on the seat back rather than two amp chargers. Um yeah that's that's the kind of thing you're like you know it doesn't really save that much. that's probably you know a kilo across the aircraft, but still you know they are they're they're hunting it down um and you know they've got that new Thompson premium economy seat, which I'm fairly certain nobody else has chosen yet um what so obviously when that was rolled out that premium economy seat, there was a lot of talk about how it reclined far too far backwards to be pitched at thirty eight inches um I I know I was surprised by that when when I saw it um, and a lot of other people were too what's been the response to that has have have people gone well you know it's fine you know we're actually just going to sleep for for ages and so if I need to get up and visit the lavatory or have a stretch I realize that I have to disturb three people or I think those who fly often would say that
1: yes it's not one of the um it's not an ideal configuration in terms of pitch and in terms of the way it's designed right um, people who are very experienced or regular flyers would see that it just doesn't quite tick all the boxes, you know. Um, but I think with Qantas, the the thing is, twelve point five million frequent flyers, members, mm-hmm. um, huge corporate contracts. So, I I guess whatever shortcomings they may have, people will use it because. They 've got they're handcuffed either through the freak and fly program or they've just retained such strong loyalty to the flying kangaroo that mm-hmm. you know that they, they perhaps don't see these things that some some other people see yeah uh, but in terms of I think the what Qantas has said, I think you know they, they've talked about how the flights to London have been um, very well received the load factors are great you have to take that with a grain of salt because they replaced a 450 seat Airbus A three eighty Melbourne Dubai London with a two hundred and thirty seat seven eight seven Melbourne Perth London. So mm-hmm. if it wasn't doing great, you'd have to ask questions. Right. Uh but yeah, I I think I think the product suffers in comparison to other airlines on similar routes. For mm-hmm. example, the Virgin Australia triple seven to um Los Angeles has a refurbished premium economy that seems quite well regarded. Mm-hmm. Delta has also, you know, updates game. Yep. So the the there are other products out there that mm-hmm. you know can put Qantas sort of under yeah. pressure.
0: Yeah, it's into on, on on the eastbound because the, these these aircraft basically do a, a big U shape. So you, um they go from from Europe to Perth to the east coast and onwards uh, to uh, the US west coast. Um and and as more aircraft hit the fleet, you'll get more destinations. Um certainly on the in the in the states and then obviously um, Qantas has been highly rumored slashed has been. Um, uh, so dropping some hints about, you know, resuming non-stop European flights. Um, I guess if you're going westbound from Perth, you obviously have fewer premium economy options because none of the big three in the Middle East offer premium economy. Um, if you're flying some Corollines from Perth, you're kind of flying backwards to go forwards. So I, I can see that from Perth, but it's, it'll be interesting to, to to get some comparative data on the transatlantic, on uh, um, trans-Pacific routes. Absolutely, yeah. Just because there is so much premium economy, including Qantas's own, obviously, um, flying across across the Pacific um, And in New Zealand too, of course, mm-hmm.
1: which took out those space seat premium economy in favour of a more standard
0: or yeah. you know traditional premium economy. Yeah. Um, but, this, but this is it is exactly the same story, but you know eight years previously. Yes, um, you know, people saw those seats in the hangar. You know, at New Zealand's hangar fifty one, right, which is where they're. Currently looking at their new business class seat, um, and they were pitched. So, you know, people were saying it felt like it was six inches further away than the actual pitch. Um, and I remember getting on, on that on uh, that that plane when it was unveiled in Wellington, and going, "Wait, these seats are insanely close together," um, and for for. It was for for the aircraft and for the and for the you know, just just a living space, Um and New Zealand was, was pretty upset that everyone was receiving it that way. Um, and eventually, you know, after what was it, six months, took out a row and spaced it out more. And and that squashed the, the economics of the product. Um, and so now it's, it's back to, you know, your your basic uh, 242 premium economy seats, which are pretty, at least consistent, you know. Um, and that's one of the interesting things that I find with the premium economy is it is really consistent across across airlines, Um you know, we wrote recently about um, Air Canada is now selling angled lie flats on its uh, secondhand A three thirties that it's taking from uh, Singapore Airlines via Tap Air Portugal. Um, it's selling those angled lie flats while it still has to move where it refits the aircraft as premium economy, um, which I think is, is pretty telling about what what people are expecting in terms of um, in terms of long haul business versus premium economy these days.
1: Yeah, I mean, long haul business is um, aisle access and. Um, flat
0: beds, yeah, yeah. And if you don't have that, you're at a slight disadvantage. Exactly. So coming back to the to the seven eight seven briefly. So you went out on the seven eight seven, but then you recently flew on the A three hundred and fifty as well, sort of back to back kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So after arriving in London, I spent I spent one night in Europe um, in March, and then um, the next day, basically, flew from Barcelona to Singapore on the Singapore Airlines A three hundred and fifty service, and I just made the observation that these remarkable aircraft. Uh, both offer, you know, a very comfortable ride for passengers because of their technology, but they also allow airlines to operate, you know, routes that um could be a challenge with older aircraft just because of the economics. And I, I just remember taking off from Barcelona on this 350 and, you know, I, I couldn't hear a thing. Yeah. They're just so quiet. And, you know, one would expect to be reasonably wrecked after flying... Sydney, Perth, London, Barcelona, Singapore. But I got off the plane at Singapore and yes, I was tired and yes, I'd been flying for two days, but I certainly felt a lot better than I would have if I was on a 787 or a, sorry, a 747 or a 330, you yeah. know. So I, it just, I just remarked, thought that, you know, thanks to these amazing aircraft and better aircraft to come, Yeah, you know, passengers can crisscross the globe now And, um, you know, have holidays or do business, catch up with friends,
0: um, and you don't have to feel, um, terrible getting off an airplane. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because it's one of the things that I've really noticed about, um, you know, booking onto an A350 or a 787 is, I think it's that combination of lower cabin altitude and higher cabin moisture, so higher cabin humidity, um, it's it really is incredible um i i it was the kind of thing where I was like yeah fine airbus fine going like sure i'm sure that's nice but actually i 100 percent feel less wrecked i feel less um tired at altitude i feel less like someone's you know driven over me with a baggage cart when i've arrived you know even after a long long flight um one of my <laughs> one of my friends says uh that they can put an extra three glasses of champagne in um, before starting to feel uh, a little bit hungover on arrival, which um, is a very nice problem to have. In fairness, um, but it it it's, it's really astounding to me how much of an invisible effect this is, um, and I think it it does mean that, you know, I I I, I certainly feel that like I could I can fly farther on a non-stop, more happily on one of these new aircraft. Um, now whether I would want because I, I did them the the, the Newark Singapore flight on Singapore Airlines back when it was an A three forty, um, and that was pretty exhausting. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that works on the A three fifty for, um, as as that service settles in. I think schedules make a difference
1: too. Like I was yeah. saying, the, the the if you're flying seventeen hours in darkness, um, you know you feel a lot different if you've at least had some daylight. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I think the old Newark schedule involved sort of a a day flight. Mm-hmm. Um, X outbound from singapore um and then coming back because of the time difference you get some daylight anyway but but for now the, that that sq 21 is leaves at midnight arrives at seven in the morning yeah. it's 19 hours in
0: darkness you have have a really 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 long night you know yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so i think schedule makes a difference and mm-hmm. it's not always possible to get the ideal schedule but um but you, you try to do what you can.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, Qantas is, is hugely involved in these new, um, in, the, in the new aircraft. You know, they've got this Project Sunrise, right? T- tell us what Project Sunrise is. Well, uh, Qantas wants to fly
1: nonstop from Australia's east coast, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, to New York and London, primarily. There are other destinations that they're talking about too, but these are the two big ones for Australian travellers and for Qantas' network. Um, And so they've challenged Airbus and Boeing to sort of come up with an aircraft that can fly these routes economically, um, you know, with a commercially viable payload. Uh, And Airbus and Boeing have been quite enthusiastic, I think, in terms of trying to meet the challenge. Now, Airbus has a A350 platform that they've um, put forward. They've got the A350-900ULR that Singapore Airlines is using on Singapore to Newark. Um, And they've also talked about maybe... Extending the performance improvements on the A350-1000 to also do a similar stage length. On Boeing's part, they've got the 777X program, and then there's the two variants, the 8X and the 9X. And um, Boeing is hoping that it's 8X, um, which is still yet to sort of fully finish the design process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're currently
0: building the first test aircraft, the 9X. The 9X, right, yeah, which is
1: the sort of introduction model, which is going to start flying next year. But the 8 is the one with the huge range that they hope will be able to meet Qantas's needs. Um, Qantas has talked earlier this year about four classes, 300 passengers, second spaces, living spaces, below deck spaces, basically huge blue sky I thinking, and they have to be commended for that. But I think in recent times, you've we've seen the the airline sort of start to walk back some of that, you know, ambition. Simply, I think because they've. Had more briefings, more discussions with Airbus and Boeing, and you know, flying three hundred passengers with a full passenger load and cargo load, or and living spaces, I think is a big challenge. Right? Mm-hmm. for nineteen hours to yeah. New York and twenty one hours to London, um, that's a long way to go. So, uh, Qantas is hoping to put an order in sometime. I think over the next twelve months. So I think they're coming to, you know, the pointy end of the the request for information. And, and we're interesting to see how it goes. I mean, Qantas was one of the airlines that was part of the original consulting group on the 777.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was the only airline not to order the 777. So I guess if they were to go down the 777 path, then um, it, it would be you know at basically 20 years after the 777s were first envisaged that Qantas became a 777 customer. I think Boeing is pushing very hard on that. Um, but the A350 is a great program because... The, the different variants mean that they, they could use the 900 standard ones on other routes and the ULRs and, um, and there's the commonality that you would bring to that, would just sort of quite a compelling proposition. Um, I don't know which way
0: they'll go, but it's hard to make a bad choice. I mean, I think those two aircraft would be a great aircraft. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I find it really interesting from from the passenger experience point of view, um, you know, talking about all these third spaces. Um, obviously, a lot of this stuff has to be out of the set of seat tracks, um, and whether the underfloor bunk room for economy passengers ever comes to, to, to fruition, it's great to be talking about it. Um, I'm a little bit more, um, more bullish on things like the Rockwell Collins Butterfly, which basically has um, a bar that swings out from in front of the doors within the, usually it will be galley two, for example. Um, so that once the first service has been done, the crew can sort of create a sort of almost a pop-up bar. You know, um, and that, that's been what, obviously one of the one of the criticisms of the Singapore Airlines flight is that you are in your seat for the best part of a day, um, and there's not really anywhere to go and stretch because Singapore Airlines has you know been very space efficient on the footprint there. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm certainly you know in agreement that both those aircraft are incredibly capable. Um, it, it will really depend on what Qantas does with the rest of its fleet as well, of course. Um, You know, they they haven't taken a a, a full next-generation choice for their narrowbody fleet. Um, Obviously, they're they're currently uh, 737, 800 operators significantly. Um, The Qantas group, of course, has a huge number of A320 NEOs on order, um, which seem destined for Jetstar, if memory serves. Um, Obviously, you have some commonality between um, the the various Airbus short-haul and long-haul aircraft. which provides some interesting options I me. Mean, Finnair, for example, does um uh, some some cross fleeting, so you know you can uh, pilots will one day pilot an A one day pilot an A three hundred and thirty, for example, um which gives you some interesting options, particularly when you're trying to um, work a pilot group into from ultra long haul flights into uh you know the rest of your schedule, I mean, you get remarkable efficiencies there. Um, you know, I think that Qantas has to rethink a little bit its um its passenger experience on these ultra long haul flights. Um, you know that those those narrow seats, you know, the people who have said yeah, you know, the narrow but are indeed the people like you who had a spare seat next to them. Um, I've heard a lot more grumbling from people who have had somebody's elbow in their kidneys for, for sitting for period of time. Um, now, the the benefit of the A three hundred and fifty, of course, is that it's. You know it's it's 333 three, three on that slightly wider fuselage which means that everybody has a, a a nice wide 18 inch plus seat um and you know we've sat in a lot of the of the new generation seats at that seat width and it's amazing how much difference there are on the 850 version versus the the triple seven version and the triple seven x version that a few of the seat makers are starting to to show with Boeing you know carving out some of that 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 seat width on the on the triple x uh, fuselage um it'll be the, of course you have to start... You, you, you can't really judge the seat without seeing it within the cabin context. Um, you know, does this, the sidewall push you in at shoulder level too much if you're at 10 abreast on a 777X, like it does on 777? That question is still an open question. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what, what Qantas does there. Mm, mm, especially with
1: four classes, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and indeed, you know, in comparison with, with Jetstar, right? So as a, as a group, it has its low-cost carrier... Um, it was a pioneer in 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 some of the long haul low cost work, um, but you look at Qantas versus Jetstar right now, and and what you get is an extra inch of legroom, down down the back of a seven eight seven.
1: Yeah, and it's the it's the narrowest seat that Qantas has ever put on a wide body aircraft. Yeah, I mean, or on any aircraft, aircraft. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the fact that the seat is similar in size to what it's on a Jetstar aircraft, admittedly they're given an extra inch of pitch, but yeah. sort of speaks to how fraught the economics are on these ultra long core services I yeah. think
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, um and I'm looking at Jetstar, I mean Qantas obviously did a lot of work around um you know sort of pioneering a successful um dual brand strategy um tell us more about that so so what what's Qantas doing is it is it still pulling away um Qantas services from some of the more uh ledger focused routes um you know your 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 gold coasts uh, that kind of thing
1: well, I think Qantas has said in the past that you know, Jetstar and Qantas, um, to use a bit of corporate speak, which I don't necessarily like to do, but in this case, it works. It's just market segmentation, they say. It doesn't matter what the route is, they're so good at knowing who the passengers are now that Qantas and Jetstar can fly on the same route um, and they attract different customers through the way they um, sell and promote. I think you mentioned the Gold Coast. It's really interesting because Qantas pulled out of the Gold Coast maybe, um, I don't know, 10 years ago. Um, but three or four years ago, they were back, you know, flying mm-hmm. from Sydney. And, um, and then they added Melbourne nonstop services too. And I mean, Jetstar is still there so
0: for this, you don't know, the Gold Coast is sort of, would you say almost the Florida of, of Australia? So it's, it's, it's sunny and there's a lot of holiday destination traffic there. Sunny, beachy and
1: um, a place where a lot of um, people who live in the southern states go um, for some warmth in the winter mm-hmm. um, or for, um, you know, end of year um, vacations in the summertime. Basically, up and down the Queensland coast, um, there are gold coasts of different names, basically, mm-hmm. all the different beachside yeah. locations. So, you know, it's a, it's a leisure destination. Yeah. Um, but Qantas recognised that, um, you know, it had a huge um, uh, fly base that they'd um, not been serving. And so they, they came back and then they added Melbourne services too. And so I think while Jetstar remains, you know, the dominant... Um, Qantas group carry on the Gold Coast. Qantas has a presence there because they're talking about either corporates or this new category that they describe as premium leisure Mm travellers. Whatever that means. Uh, And so Gold Coast is a good example. Also Bali, Denpasar is a good example too. Now, Jetstar flies 787s to Bali year-round. They bring Australians to this popular Indonesian tourist destination. But in recent times, we've seen Qantas come back to Bali. You know, Qantas started flying from Sydney to Bali on a seasonal basis two years ago. And now they fly the year round and um, this coming sort of peak season, they'll have selected services on A330s instead of 737s, which is what they normally serve the route. Mm-hmm. And they've added Melbourne barley as well with seven three seven So while Qantas and Jetstar, yes, one is the low-cost carrier, one is the full-service carrier, um, Qantas has found pockets of um, markets where Jetstar um, obviously is the dominant carrier, but they wanted to serve a, a segment of the market that maybe weren't drawn to Jetstar as much as you know they were to Qantas so it's been really interesting how they've tried to um, um, find new markets with the Qantas brand um, while maintaining sort of the Jetstar brand in certain markets too I, th- I think that's been really a, quite an interesting recent development with, with their route planning
0: yeah and, and you can see some of that logic taking root in Singapore as well right so you've got wingtip flying almost with Singapore Airlines and Scoot. Yes. Um, certainly to to and from Australia. Um, and, and it's interesting to see how Singapore Airlines is folding Silk Air um, into Scoot slash Singapore Airlines as a, as a brand as well. Yeah. Um, so Singapore Airlines eventually will have two
1: brands. They'll have Scoot, which is the low cost, and they'll have Singapore Airlines, which is the full service. Um, and both will serve medium haul, short haul, and in Singapore Airlines cases, long haul mm-hmm. uh, markets as well. So, um, you know... Some would say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but um, the markets are different. I think the approaches are, are going to be different. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Qantas Group has been, you know, the pioneer in folding in or integrating a low-cost brand into a airline group alongside a full-service brand. And we've seen, you know, carcasses of that happen across North America and Europe yeah. over the years, right? Yeah,
0: um, you know, and, and the interesting that it that it's coming back into Europe, right? I mean, you've got the uh, IAG... Um, with something of a dartboard approach, you know, um, uh, they start off with, with, with Vwelling as the, as a short, and actually it's, a, it's a huge short haul carrier uh, across a lot of Europe. Um, and actually has relatively good passenger experience. I mean, I've learned a few times and, and I've always been relatively impressed. You know, it's a, it's a, look, it's a, it was a, narrow-body A three twenty family aircraft, um, with slimline seats pitched quite closely together, but reasonably priced for um exit rows and um the um their excellence fare, which is basically European business class. I have I have no 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 problems there, but then they have uh, level, which was their long haul low cost. Um and then of course level also became a long haul uh, 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 uh short haul low cost out of out of Vienna, um so it's interesting to see other airlines say oh actually Qantas has a, um has a point here. Mm. Um, when when the US carriers, interestingly, um, have taken a different tack um, and are focusing much more on, on selling their own basic economy um, on their existing aircraft, on their existing cost base. Um, yeah, and, and, and increasingly on the long-haul services as well.
1: Yeah, and it's a market you know well, but Japan too. I mean, the the two big carriers in Japan are a portfolio of airlines and Japan Airlines is going to establish a new low, long-haul, low-cost operator in two years' yeah. time with 787. Yeah. So, exactly. And ANA has, you know, it's, Peach and yeah um,
0: which, which I was just on which uh, was like last week, and in fact, it probably was last week, um, and look, I, I have a lot of time for peach um, it's It really knows its brand, it's got a really strong brand, it goes big on the cute. Kawaii factor, which you know is 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 big in Japan for everyone, um, and they too are going long haul low cost. You know, they're taking A three twenty one LR's, um, and you know they already do some some relatively long haul flying with their fleet of existing A three twenties, um, and, and it's that's a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting market, and it's been really interesting to see how, um, you know how Jetstar Japan reacts to that, um, how, uh, Air Asia, you know Air Asia is returning. To, to japan previously they were in partnership with ANA to um to run to japan the first time which then became vanilla air which is being folded into peach <laughs> um but yeah it, it, it is as you say this portfolio of airlines um and it, it will be fascinating to see because japanese people really love their low-cost airlines on the um on the short haul but you to see how that that translates to long haul um especially as you, you have, you know, just uh, just a couple of days ago ANA's uh first A three eighty with its massive sea turtle livery rolling out of the of the Airbus factory. Um and they're putting that on on those Honolulu routes, which you've gotta assume are gonna be some of the early ones to, to, to be served by these these long haul uh, low cost carriers because you know Honolulu is still a huge Japanese tourist destination. Mm, absolutely. Um and, and yeah, just sort of seeing seeing how that how that dual brand strategy will work, um, you know, ANA is putting you know on this leisure route for these premium leisure travellers. that You talk about full first class suites, full business class staggered, um, which it looks to me like they're continuing their use of Zodiac Sky Lounge, um, you know, aka the, the what you see on on, on Emirates and what ANA has on its all its long haul aircraft. Um, and you know they've they've gone with the um, uh, anything on Sky Couch um, for for some of the seats down the back. Uh, it's Super interesting to see the, the the market segmentation that they're trying to. Trying to do and, and the sort of um, the resort feel, um, you know, sort of starting your holiday, uh, and, and extending your holiday, um, you know, new new lounges, um, unique pack sex, you know, sort of and, and and leveraging this whole flying turtle thing, you know, got flying turtle cups and everything. Uh, it's a kind of thing people love, um, and and that you know that that really that really extends your brand into into those markets. Mm. So, what should we be looking out for in in Australia uh, over the next couple of years so the, the the Qantas project sunrise decision and I think on the virgin australia side uh, Virgin Australia
1: too is a portfolio of airlines they have um, regional services with you know turboprop aircraft and and, and older aircraft they have um, the virgin Australia mainline and they also have Tiger Air Australia, which is their fully owned low cost subsidiary and I think um, we 've seen a big push from virgin. Uh, in New Zealand for the past few months after they had their alliance with Air New Zealand on Australian New Zealand routes um, finish up. And so while Tiger Air Australia is only a uh, domestic operator at the moment, um, you know, there is um, a lot of suggestion that um, Tiger will resume international flying, um, you know, sometime over the next, I guess, 12 to 18 months. Um, to give Virgin a, a portfolio approach on some of these international routes, particularly to New Zealand. Because um, Virgin has revamped its offering on the New Zealand routes. Uh, every ticket has a meal. Every ticket has luggage, um, in-flight entertainment, et cetera. Um, things that they did not offer when they were in an alliance with Air New Zealand because Air New Zealand had a very um, segmented approach to, to trans-Tasman flying. You, mm-hmm. you want a bag, you pay for a bag. You want a meal, you pay for a meal. Um. So I think on the Virgin Australia side, that, that'll be interesting. I think, um, you know, the they've had a big push into Hong Kong, two routes now, one from um, Melbourne and one from Sydney, uh, non-stop services with A330s offering, you know, flatbed business class. Um, whether they can, whether they have the aircraft or they have the capacity to add a third route, something to watch out for, I think. Uh, and I think, you know, the... Looking elsewhere in Oceania, I mean, it's quite interesting that, you know, Fiji Airways is a max operator now, a 737 Mm -hmm. max operator. So the first in the region. Um, There are 830 NEOs coming um, for uh, the Pacific Islands. Um, And so, yeah, there are a few different things happening. Uh, And, you know, but obviously the the big thing with the Australian New Zealand market is Qantas. And they seem to have the best part of um, the flying public's attention. And so we'll be keenly watching the Project Sunrise um, order. But I would also mention with Air New Zealand that Air New Zealand is also in the process of looking at a fleet order. Mm-hmm. They've got um, a fleet of 777-200ERs that they're looking to replace. Mm-hmm. And they've talked about the replacement aircraft um, hopefully will have the range to do nonstop from Auckland to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they too are looking at you know more 787s, triple sevens or a350s yep. so while it's sort of a little bit stagnant as far as orders is concerned um there are a couple of big ticket items in the pipeline mm-hmm. to, to look out
0: for yeah yeah and big tickets and bellwethers right you know watching which way both quantists and they're to jump is going to be super interesting yeah yeah interesting well that's it for today's conversation we certainly hope you enjoyed it and we're always keen to find out what you think please listeners feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions Thanks to our guest, Jordan Chong from Australian Aviation. Where can folks find you online? Well,
1: the, we have uh, AustralianAviation.com.au is our website, and if you want to sort of look us up on social media, we're at Oz at at Aviation on Twitter and at The Australian
0: Aviation on Facebook. And as ever, you can find me on Twitter at That John and everything from RGN on Twitter at Runway Girl and of course at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please do leave a rating and review whenever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.